0: As I announced uh, in the notices, uh, we're going to be looking more closely at Daniel chapter 12, God willing, on Wednesday evening at the Bible study meeting. Uh, For our purpose this evening, this is not an exposition of this closing chapter of Daniel, but rather just some reflections on the opening verses, i.e. verses 1 through to 4, and particularly focusing in uh, this evening on verse 3. And we're working under a title, a simple title, of an invaluable work. I read verse 3. For those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. If it's helpful to you, a simple context of this book of Daniel, this ancient prophecy You will sure be familiar that this man Daniel uh, was taken away from his homeland, the city of Jerusalem, and that he was uh, transplanted to Babylon when he was only a teenager, and he lived out the rest of his life in Babylon. And now we find that this man is probably at least in his late 80s, even reaching his 90th year. And whilst he's been in Babylon across those many years, he has become a very significant character in the Babylonian Empire. And also he has received a series of visions, sometimes strange, sometimes terrifying visions from God. And these visions were full of figures and symbols. And they were really describing future history. In the first place, the history of the four great world empires, i.e. the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Medio Empire, the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire. But also following on from that and as it were flowing out of the Roman Empire, there was going to be another kingdom and that was to be an eternal kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. Chapters 10 through to 12, then, comprise the final vision which which Daniel received. It actually begins in chapter 10, verse 20. Then he said, Do you know I have come to you now? And now I must return to flight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come, and so on. And the details of that vision continue throughout the length of Daniel chapter 11 and closing here in the final chapter. Now, Daniel chapter 11, the contents are not an easy read, they're not easy to read, and they're not easy to understand. But put quite simply, they are presenting a condensed history of the world and of future days. They introduce us to a character by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, and he was a type of the antichrist and the antichrist will begin to appear as it's said at the end of time the end of time then is really that period of time between the first advent of our lord jesus christ when he was born as a babe at bethlehem and his second advent when he will return with power and great glory at the very end days. And so we sometimes refer to that as the church age or the gospel age. But that's what we're referring to and that's what we have in mind very much uh, this evening. And so we see immediately as we look into the book of Daniel and most particularly as we look at these, this series of visions which Daniel received we see immediately that these prophecies, these visions, have been largely fulfilled. We can always add a rider when we speak about the prophetic works in the Bible, and we can always say of of almost all, if not most, of those prophecies, there is always a first fulfillment, but nevertheless behind that there is a, a further fulfillment. And we can certainly say that about the prophecies relating to our dear Saviour and his coming down to earth and his ministry here upon earth. Yes, many of those words have already been fulfilled in his life. We can say that about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that those prophecies have been fulfilled. But there's always going to be that future and that final fulfillment of these ancient prophecies. So we go back to the beginning of this chapter. I'm just going to trip over these verses very briefly this evening. But we begin at verse 1 there. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. This is Michael. We've been introduced to Michael previously, just a, a few chapters earlier in this book. Michael, the great prince... Some friends interpret the prince as being Christ because, of course, Christ is known as the prince of peace. And we read that this Michael, this person, stands up and he watches over the sons of your people. He watches over the church, Christian believers. He's watching over us. He's concerned for our souls. He's concerned that we shall advance in the way of righteousness and in the path of holiness. He's concerned that we shall grow in faith and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we read of him there. We also read something which may be helpful to us uh, in Matthew chapter 24. And I just read two verses there. Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 and 22 For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. In that context, it's speaking of what is known as the great tribulation. But here we have some matching words, that there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Of course, the first application, the immediate application, could be to Israel, to the Lord's ancient people. It could be uh, in the running centuries, of course, to AD 70 and to the utter and complete destruction of the city of Jerusalem by Titus, the Roman emperor. But surely this is an example, friends, of a prophecy that there is yet that fulfillment that we await in these gospel days, in this church age. And so we read there, Such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And what is this book It is the book of life. And our names, if we are a Christian person, our names, so we understand, are written in the book of life. I don't think it's a physical book in the sense that we are familiar with books. But nevertheless, the terminology here, the figure is, that is the book of life. It's been said that another way of expressing this, which I find helpful is that the redeemed, the redeemed people of God, as it were, are in the heart of Christ. That seems to me a more profound way of expressing this, that Christ so loved us, and Christ still so loves us, and Christ will continue to so love us until he returns, so much so that he is, as it were, We are in his heart. And again, he's demonstrating his love and his care towards his blood bought people. We are given the impression in this chapter, particularly his opening verses, that the church is to be a militant church, the church militant here upon earth. In other words, we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And the church, if you look at, read church history, you read the New Testament, and you read further church history, uh, you will discover that for yourself quite patently. That the church is always under attack from the evil one, from Satan, and that we are a church militant. We used to sing the hymns, didn't we, that expressed this? Onward Christian soldiers, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Fight the good fight and so on. So we're a church militant, but we're also a church or a people that are anticipating a future glory. Because the best is yet to come. The future glory that the Lord's people await, that the redeemed of God await. So I trust this evening that every one of us, that our name is found in the book of life. And your name will appear in that book if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to follow him and glorify him in your life. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is clearly a very uh, obvious Reference to resurrection, to the resurrection of the dead. As as the scripture tells us, some to everlasting life, to everlasting glory and happiness, and some to shame and everlasting contempt, to everlasting condemnation and separation from God. Many of those who sleep, I think the word many there means numerous of them, Many of them shall awake, and in one direction or another. Many of them who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Sometimes that is expressed as the land of dust. The land, of course, where there is death. And yet where there is also ultimately resurrection, a glorious resurrection from the dead when our mortal bodies will be reunited with our souls and when we shall be in glory with Christ forever and forever. So these are just introductory words. But when you think about it, it refers to the land of dust, the dust of the earth. This can also have a a meaning uh, for the believer because Before we come to faith, we love the world and we love the things in the world and we love the world's pleasures and entertainments. But once we come to faith in Jesus Christ, once we have been renewed, once we have been made new creatures in him, then somehow we lose the taste for the things of this world and for worldly pleasures and entertainments. And the values systems of this world also. And the priorities of this world. And are we living in this land of the dust? This present fallen and sinful world. Whilst we are here upon earth. And we cannot help but notice out of our own experience. That this present world is so unstable. And it is always changing. But we are looking for a place of our inheritance, a place of glory. And we are even now associated with the unchangeable and unchanging God. And so there we see the contrast, a very sharp contrast at verse 2. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting content. I'm just going to pass over verse 3 momentarily and just look briefly at verse 4. A personal word here to Daniel. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And so therefore Daniel is to shut up the words and to seal the book. We've just been thinking about the plight, the end if you like, of those who are going to be experiencing everlasting contempt and shame. We're thinking there of those who are spiritually lost. And really, you can level things out because it's not a matter of gradations. It's not a matter of saying, well, this person is a really out-and-out sinner But this person is really quite a pleasant guy. He's quite a nice person. He's a good neighbor, uh, but he's just a little sinner. Oh, no, that's not the teaching of the Scriptures. The teaching of the Scriptures is that all comes short of the glory of God, that we have all sinned, and therefore we all need help. We need a rescuer. We need a saviour to deliver us from sin and unbelief. And so we're thinking of that But we're thinking here now of the Lord's people. We're thinking of those who shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Well, the unbelievers running to and fro around this earth seeking after peace and sustained happiness and contentment and seeking to fulfill their ambitions but the believer is also, as it were, in these terms, shall run to and fro, seeking after further knowledge, knowledge of God, to deepen our understanding of God, to be in the scriptures, to be meditating upon God's word, and to be helping one another to deepen and to increase to grow in faith, as I said earlier, and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so how do we increase in knowledge? Well, I think we increase in knowledge in obvious ways, don't we? I've already referred to one, and that is that we give ourselves to Bible reading. I think Roger Fay mentioned this, was it, last Sunday evening, not to just run through a psalm and then just a few words from somewhere else in the Bible each day, but rather to, to plan into your daily schedule, uh, gracious and good time, quality time, to read the Bible, to read the Bible, to meditate, to, as it were, stand back from the words that you read. And quite often the words we read in the Bible, if we are experienced uh, believers, they're so familiar to us. And there lies the danger that we just read them because we know what we think about them and our understanding of them, but we are called to meditate. It's a spiritual discipline, it's meditation, to really stay with the scripture and think it through and consider what it is saying to me at that time. And also, of course, we deepen in knowledge through sitting under the preached word. Every time we hear a sermon, it is seeking to feed our souls and to help us in our knowledge of God and of Christ and of the Holy Spirit and the things of God. So now we arrive at verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now here we have a title for this single verse, and the title is an invaluable work an invaluable work those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament we often say these days particularly about young people maybe but not exclusively young people we say oh he or she is streetwise well maybe they are whatever that means they're streetwise but we need to be scripture wise christian friends we need to be scripture wise in the ways i've been suggesting we read in the second timothy chapter 3 verse 15 the holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus are you wise for salvation do you possess that wisdom That wisdom which is from above, that you are wise to salvation. In the book of Proverbs, we read in the very opening chapter, chapter 1 and verse 7, these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And also we read in that same chapter, at verse 5, a wise man will hear and increase learning. And of course, the book of Proverbs written by Solomon, King Solomon, who was reputedly a very wise man, and the book of, uh, the book of Proverbs is full of wise words. And i just give you an, another example uh, in the book of Proverbs here. I'm trying to find the right place at the moment. I think I found it now. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 11, for wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Are you scripture wise? Never mind about being street wise. This is far more important. And so we read there at verse 3, those who are wise. Well, who are these wise people that this is referring to? It's referring to teachers in the church. It's referring to those who teach from the bible bible teachers but not only teachers it's referring to every believer because we're all called to teach in that sense because we are disciples of jesus christ and it means therefore that we are all learners that's what the word means isn't it we're all learners we're all on a journey we set our foot on the road that leads to heaven And we are journeying in that direction day by day. But we all need to grow. We all need to increase in knowledge. And therefore we are all called to teach. What does it mean to be wise? Well it means to be intelligent maybe. It means to be discerning. It means to be sound in terms of theology. It means to be wise to teach others. And so therefore how? Do we teach one another unless we're standing at a lectern or in a pulpit formally teaching from the Bible? Well, we teach others, I believe, by our example, uh, by our walk and our demeanor before others. We are visual aids to one another. I'm being told repeatedly these days that the children these days, they need visuals to be able to understand, to learn a lesson. Well, we, each one of us, friends, are a visual aid because our brothers and sisters in Christ, they look at you and they look at me and what do they see apart from the obvious, the man and the clothes he's wearing? And so, therefore, all the time, We are learning from each other. We teach one another when we enter into conversation about the scriptures. And when we ask one another questions and the other person is able to answer our questions. We teach one another when a person just simply encourages us in the faith. And they set that example to be an encourager. And we need that mutual encouragement So, verse 3, those who are wise, those who are teachers, every believer shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. So if someone's going to shine, or when we think of that term shine, it equals light, does it not? So an obvious example is the sun. The sun shines, the sun creates light here upon planet earth. And therefore, as believers, we are to shine. In fact, we read at verse in Matthew chapter thirteen, verse forty-three, then the righteous shall shine as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So we're thinking about being scripture-wise, we're also thinking about being soul winners as we read. Verse 3, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So we are called to be soul winners. We are called to turn people to righteousness. What does that mean, righteousness? Well, very simply, it means to be law-abiding in terms of God's holy law, that we are to live under his commandments and we are to be obedient to his law. Now, naturally, the natural man, of course, finds that an impossibility. But we're speaking now about the Christian man or woman and we are to be law-abiding. Also, it means to be righteous, to just have enjoy a right relationship with God. To be righteous means to be Christ-like because Christ was perfectly righteous and so we are to endeavor increasingly to be more like him. We have been justified by his righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, imputed us to us by faith in him alone. It's interesting that uh, the original uh, version of this word righteousness was right wiseness right wiseness are you wise to salvation are you a righteous person are you covered by God's love are you law abiding in terms of God's holy law are you walking righteously before an onlooking world live soberly righteously and godly in this present age. Titus 2, verse 12. So we're called to be soul winners. We're called to turn many to righteousness, to a righteous way of living. Well, how do we do this in practical terms? When we leave this building this evening, when we go out into the world this next week, when we have conversation with a next-door neighbor, or a work colleague, or a friend? How are we to impress upon them these truths? How are we to seek to turn them to righteousness? Well, I think first of all by our general conduct and by our behavior. Also by our reactions. This makes me think of uh, a, a simple illustration which I find helpful called Rats in the Cellar. There are rats in the cellar. And if you go to the cellar door at the top of the cellar steps and you open that door with a bang and you are shouting or making a lot of noise and you put the light on and you walk down the cellar steps, you won't see any rats because the board is scarped. But if you go quietly, to the cellar door and you open it very gently and you are whispering and you only have a little torch light to help you down the, the steps and then you, someone puts the light on then you will see the rats and how do you react when you see the rats and so how do, how do I react how do you react when perhaps something surprises you or you're caught off guard. It's what issues out of the heart is how you react in that situation, the rats in the cellar. Also, let's take on board the teaching in Ecclesiastes. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent. And so, often in witnessing, there may be a time to be silent, to listen to the other person, to listen to their questions and their concerns about the religious life, about God and Jesus Christ and the church and the Bible and hell and heaven and so on. But there's also, there will undoubtedly be a time to speak because the moment may come or the opportunity may present itself when you are called to speak a word for Christ. Christ and to witness to that neighbor or that friend or that work colleague. Also, how you deal with other people. Are you a person of integrity? Are you honest with all your dealings with other people? Are you kind toward other people? Do you keep your promises? Do you say to someone, yes, oh, I will promise to do this or that, and quickly go away and forget to do this or that? Or do you say to them quite loosely, I will pray for you, And forget to pray for them? Or do you add that name to your prayer list? And ensure that you do pray for that person that you've promised to pray for? And are you a person of self-discipline? And is that obvious to other people that your life seems to be fairly well organized? And do you live a consistent life before others? And so we're thinking about soul winners. We're thinking about how we may turn many to righteousness but you see what does my neighbor or my unregenerate friend or unsaved work colleague what does that person see in me not see me physically but what does that person see at a deeper level when they look at me think about this friend in terms of your work colleague or your friend or your neighbor, you may be the only translation of the Bible which they have read. They may never have read the Bible. They may never have opened the Bible, but they've read your life. And you profess to be a Christian person. And so, perhaps as a result of reading the Bible under your name and version they may be encouraged to turn up a Bible and to open the Bible and to read it for themselves and to find out more. In all of this, I'm not suggesting, friends, that we are all perfect. Speaking for myself, I am not. But nevertheless, we are called to maintain a certain standard before others who are watching on. This does not mean that we go to the other extreme and that we just blend into the background of the unbelieving world. That we just go with the flow, that we don't speak up for Christ, that we don't stand up for God's values and his standards, as it were. That we don't blend so much that we don't cause any offense to anyone. People just look at us and they say, oh, he's a nice chap. He's always friendly and sociable, but we don't offend them. Well, it seems to me that our Lord Jesus Christ was perfect righteousness. He was a sinless person as a son of man, and yet he caused great offense. And this evening we have a further opportunity to remember him in his dying love. He caused such offense that they said away with him. We will not have this man to reign over us. Let's nail him to a cross of wood. So therefore, we're thinking this evening that are we scripture-wise? Do we seek with God's help to be soul winners? But are we still unwise? Is there anyone present who is still unwise? Who is not yet wise unto salvation? Oh, people, they just seem to want to shut the door on reality. On the reality of death, of coming judgment, of hell, of heaven. Shut their ears and say, I don't want to hear. The story is told of a woman in an eastern country, a hot country. She was walking along a path and she was carrying two buckets And in one hand she had a bucket and it contained cold water. And the other hand she had a bucket and it contained coals of fire. And as she was walking along this path, someone stopped her and asked her a question. Woman, what are you doing with these two buckets that you're carrying? One of water and one of coals of fire. And she said, with one I'm going to drown out hell and with the other I'm going to burn heaven. Now let me make that clear, that's only an illustration. What the woman was saying was, I want to remove the concept of heaven and hell right away from me, right out of my mind. It does not, these places do not exist. I'm not even going to think about them. So what about you, friend? Why listen to God's truth? Why seek after a relationship with God? Well, because he is your creator. He's made you. He gives you the very breath of life each morning when you get out of bed. He sustains your life. And he's actually demonstrated his infinite love toward you in sending his dear son to die for you, to die in his place. So he has claims upon your life. And you ignore him at your peril. Or oh, far better to repent and receive Christ a Saviour and Lord, to become a child of God. During the Second World War, as you know, there was over two million children that were evacuated out of our major cities into the countryside. Many of them out of London, but I think from some of the other major cities also. And as these children left their homes in the city, many of them travelled by train out into the countryside, and they had a label around their neck with their name on, and the destination that they were bound for do you have a label hanging around your neck and your eternal destiny I wonder where that eternal destiny is for you friend and so we're reading here and finally those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever we're thinking about reward eternal reward psalm 62 verse 12 says to you O god belongs mercy for to you render reward to each one according to his work the picture of a father and of a child and the father wants the child to perform a little duty for him with the promise of reward And the child performs the duty to the best of its ability and the child receives a reward, perhaps an increase in pocket money that week, something of that nature. But not because the child was really deserving, not because the child merited that reward, it was all because of the grace of the father and the kindness of the father that he rewarded his child. And so it is with God, our Heavenly Father, our loving Heavenly Father. He wishes us to be rewarded for every good work that we perform if we are obedient to His will. So we are looking forward to reward. We're looking forward to heaven. We shall shine like the brightness of the firmament and like the stars forever. That indicates it's going to be for everlasting There's no time limit on this. It's going to be forever and forever. And so heaven, what are we looking forward to in heaven? To see Christ as he is. That's what we're looking forward to. To worship him in his glorious presence 24-7, 365 days a year as it were. We're looking forward to these bodies of ours being changed to being taken on glorified bodies like his glorified body to living in an environment where there be no more disease or illness or sufferings or death in other words heaven is to be a place of unmixed glory and unmixed joy it is to be a place of holiness Utter and absolute holiness, absolute purity, and just amazing wonder. Can we comprehend these things, Lord, as we continue to follow after Christ in this present world? Yes, are you scripture-wise? Do you seek to be a soul winner? Or are you still unwise? Still seeking after meaning and purpose in this life. It's an invaluable work to work out the text, at Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Amen.